just a remarkable thing, isn't it, when you think about it, how a child, in this case my little boy, has navigated his way through his very own mashup of his ABCs and Ba Ba Black Sheep, somehow picking up all those words by absorbing himself in the song from the age of just 18 months. He hears the tunes coming from toys, books, and of course those screens, but most importantly from his parents, his family and carers. Nowadays, we all learn things very differently to those who came before us, even as adults. We know that whilst reading regularly is a key driver to personal growth, so few of us actually have, or at least make the time to do it. So what have we done? Well, we've found ways to condense all those learnings and cram them into content that's much easier for us to digest. And this has led to the rise of infographics and other interesting and innovative ways to represent information, data and research that makes learning easy and, yep, often even a little fun. In the last few decades alone, visualised information has increased 400% in literature, almost 10,000% on the internet and 142% in newspapers. They're some pretty big numbers, no doubt, and they've shaped the way brands share and tell their stories today too. Scientifically speaking, almost 50% of your brain is involved in visual processing. 70% of all your sensory receptors are in your eyes. Yep, 70% of all your sensory receptors are in there, right there, your eyeballs. And we can absorb general sense of visual scenes in less than a tenth of a second. Pretty impressive when you think about it. It takes 150 microseconds for a symbol to be processed into our brains and just another 100 microseconds for us to attach the meaning of that said symbol to something that we can cognitively process. Yep, that's some pretty quick thinking. And in this day and age, we're highly susceptible to information overload. So, researchers have found that infographics help us engage with information provided because they're colourful, yep, back to preschool and basics, but also that they're stimulating, therefore making it easier to process, as we know, but critically 
to also remember that information. So if you're ready to get creative, add a splash of colour and make some memorable content of your own, then throw away the rule books and open up your mind because we're about to get schooled in the world of visual education. You ready? of the show. This is episode 138 of Brand Storytelling and it's an absolute pleasure to have you all along today. Don't forget, it's all brought to you by Newsmodo, the world's leading content studio. And of course, if you want to learn how we can bring your next story to life using visual representation, we have some of the best visual producers in the world. I'm talking video, I'm talking animation, I'm talking infographics and other design. We're doing it all. Amazing explainer videos. If you want to learn how we can create video content, visual representations and animation for your brand, then don't hesitate to drop us a line at info at newsmoto.com. Mention this podcast and we'll give you a 25% discount on your first visual representation. That's info at newsmoto.com. guest today is the president and founder of Now Sourcing, a US-based infographic and design agency. He's of course perfected the art and science of telling a compelling story backed by data and creating visually stimulating pieces that help brands educate and connect with their audiences. His name's Brian Wallace and he joins me now. Welcome to Brand Storytelling. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you today? I'm really well. It's another beautiful day here in Australia, although the weather's been a little cold. We're really looking forward to some sunshine here in Melbourne. I was over your way. You're, of course, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was over there for Content Marketing World, and that's just wrapped up for another year. It's a very exciting uh, few days over in that part of the world. How do you enjoy living in Ohio? I like it a lot. It reminds me a bit of where I'm originally from in suburban New York City is where I'm originally born and raised and spent a good half of my life there. But I like it a lot. It's a lot of people kind of think that the East Coast and the West Coast are really the place to be. But there's a lot of innovation that happens in the middle of America as well. Mm. I was there just a few weeks ago, actually, in uh, a beautiful part of the world called Minneapolis. Um, I don't know if you've been up there, but geez, it's a nice part of the world. Yeah, fantastic town. And a lot of creatives actually are in Minneapolis. Fascinating Mm. place. Yeah. Now, let's cast our minds back to when you were growing up in those suburbs of New York. Um, You were so close to all the action, yet so far in a way because you're in the burbs. But you were really, uh, from what I read, you're really inspired by things like... uh, 
um, the advent of the internet and uh, virtual reality in the future, which all seems to be playing out as we speak around us. I was just looking at the launch of the new iPhone and there's now an augmented reality capability within the iPhone 10. So it's all becoming part of our world. Um, what were your early memories of, uh, of this creative world around us? Sure. And fantastic question. So I actually just turned 40 this year, which you know, some people say life begins at 40 and I still feel like I'm 40 going on 21. So there's no accounting for age, but I feel like it was really a, a really special idyllic time in history to be a child of the eighties and so close to a, a major metropolis, right? Because you had all the advantages of going to the city, but at the same time, you know, you had the leafy suburbs and all of that. And so, like I said, I just turned 40 and if you're into marketing demographics, so most people have me a little bit too old to be a millennial and kind of very young to be a Gen X. So of course the marketers created a new segment called the Zennials, which is exactly where I fit in the middle. So I'm almost a communicator of worlds between generations because basically half of my life, almost, I didn't have the internet at all, right? I mean, it was for military and education and stuff like that. But as far as the web, I didn't actually get into the web until... Um, the year before I was finished with high school. So I kind of love that because you see all of the terrible things with the internet and cyberbullying and all of these things. I didn't have to think a thing about all of that. But at the same time, I was young enough to embrace the early stages of the internet and the first dot-com revolution and all of that. So by the time I was ready to go out to work after college, I was already good at the internet. And the internet was already at least somewhat mature. Nothing like it is today. Well, yeah, I, I have uh, very similar upbringings and also have uh, have tread a very similar trajectory, I guess, where we were introduced to the internet at, at a really interesting time of our lives. Um, and as you say, so much of the way we learn as human beings has has accelerated in some ways, but in other ways, in terms of the way we're educated in schools, you have some thoughts on that as well, don't yeah, you? being from New York, obviously, as an aggressive New Yorker, I'm bound to have some sort of strong opinions. I've been trying to calm down with that since I'm in the Midwest now, but here goes. So yeah, I, I think that a lot of the school systems are very, very behind, and they were designed to make people into factory workers in the mid to late 1800s. And they reward people memorizing things and that sort of stuff. And what they actually do a lot is either downplay or try to flat out eradicate creativity. There's a, a wonderful TED talk by Ken Robinson, which we can post in the show notes later, really uh, further elaborating on this subject, whether or not schools killed creativity. But if you think about it, when everyone was a child, everyone was a painter, everybody was an artist and a sculptor, and you could build blocks and you could be an architect and you were into music and you were fully creative throughout the day when you're in kindergarten or whatnot. But eventually, and maybe as you start you know, getting into your adolescent years, the teachers start teaching you, you know, more hard sciences. The STEM revolution is very popular right now. And not to minimize these things, these are important too, but it's not how to create a well-rounded educated person that knows how to think. Knowing how to think and how to be creative go hand in hand. And I feel like so many people, especially as they get to the age of when they need to go out and work, everybody says, oh, you know, go be a doc, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go be an accountant, go work for a large uh, multi 
conglomerate corporation and you don't have to worry about all of that thought process there's really nothing more inspiring i was just going to say than seeing a young child your particularly your own going through that learning process and being creative and just absorbing so much whether it be as you said from an intellectual perspective or from a creative perspective or a sports perspective it doesn't matter just that growth and that development is just so inspiring absolutely And I love when adults get to reclaim this for themselves a bit. So I've watched people completely career transition out. And let's say they go from technology into just free form, pure creative, whether it's poetry, whether it's music, whatever the case, or in our case, infographics and design and things like that. I think it's such a, a special kind of art and science that really turns on a different side of the human mind. Now we're going to be getting into your work, as you said, with infographics, but I want to lead into that through your own experience of uh, great storytelling. Do you have any anything that stands out to you as, you know, growing up, what you saw brands doing when they were creating the kind of narrative that we see today through brand storytelling? Yeah, fantastic question. I've been thinking about this kind of thing lately. I've been watching some different kinds of films on Netflix there was a really a very interesting documentary that talked about, of all things, the movie Rocky Five, uh, sorry Rocky Four, and it was for those of you who aren't big Rocky fans. I'm not a huge fan, but I just think it's very interesting. So it painted the picture of the world in the '80s, where the United States was, you know, pitted against the Cold War, Russia, and you know, Rocky, the little guy, fights the big Russian. And this film talks about how all films started completely transitioning after the 70s into the 80s, becoming blockbusters and really creating a lot of social and political commentary, to which at the time, President Reagan was a film buff, used to invite Sylvester Stallone to the White House and would quote movies as he was making policy. (laughs) So it was such a part, because remember everybody, back in the 80s, we didn't have the internet, right? So we would all meet up at the mall, we would call each other, and if we didn't show up at three o'clock, We just wouldn't get together and that would be the end of the day, right? So this was the big outlet for everybody. Creativity worked very differently. So it was a big piece in kind of shaping the way young adults thought about things. Yeah. And now as adults, as we are, sometimes (laughs) we're taking in so much every day, aren't we? And there's, we're just bombarded with so much information. It feels like the days just get shorter and shorter and the years get shorter and shorter. And the amount of information that we're faced with just gets more and more, um, I guess, broad in so many different channels that we're, we're slammed with from your iPhone through to your computer, through to the TV, through to the radio, through to the podcasts, through to the conversation and everything else. Um, Is that really what's led to the rise of visualizing data and information through things like animated infographics and explainer videos? Absolutely. Whether we're talking about just regular flat infographics, if we're using GIF animation, if we're doing videos, if we're doing interactive, any of these different things start triggering the visual side of learning. Because as as to your point, there's way too much information out there and you know, if you look at the news and you look at advertising, so much of it is dark and negative and depressing and misleading, and everybody's paying to get in there. But so many of us are visual learners. And if you look at it, if you want to talk stats, you know, there's a good stat that a lot of marketers like to throw out there called 2.7 seconds. That's all you get to show something to your audience before they bounce and never leave. We have less of a attention span than goldfish, for crying out loud. So how are you ever going to accomplish that with endless amounts of text? 
the more people read, the longer a book is, for instance, I've actually read some research, the percentage of people that don't finish the book goes up by every 50 pages. It's absurd, right? So people don't even read when it comes to the web. There's maybe you've heard of Jacob Nielsen, basically like the father of usability, who's written some definitive work probably 15, 20 years ago by now. He likes to postulate that people don't read on the web. They do chunking and they look for visual cues and separators. So even in text, this has to happen. That's why we have titles. That's why we have lead-ins and header images. But an infographic just lights your brain up all over the place in a way that I think text cannot. So you do this day in and day out. What are some of the great um, takeouts that you've learned from creating infographics? What are the key things that lead to success when you're um, visualizing information or creating a visual representation of data? Sure. So I think, and what I love to tell everyone is before we start visualizing anything, we have to have a good story. And although that sounds cliche, it's important. You can have the prettiest infographic in the world, but if it doesn't tell a story, it's useless. And if you miss your market, you don't know how to put it in the media, if it's not well-researched and vetted, you know, the internet loves to put a rainstorm all over your content if, you know, oh no, you left out a period or a comma, or you said your instead of your, right? So everything has to be in unison before we even have to start worrying about the visuals. It's got to matter. It's not just a recycled blog post, because if you look at it, the time on site to actually consume, to read a full infographic that's done properly, a person could be sitting there for three to four minutes to read the entire image, right? And so what do you see actually works when it comes to the infographics? Do they themselves need to be even simplified to make them easily digestible? Absolutely. Yes. I think that a lot of people fall into the trap where they think more information is better. I have to tell my clients, every single thing that I do, every bullet point, everything on LinkedIn has to tell every single thing I've ever done. No, not at all. You have to get to the point with people because again, the 2.7 second rule, if I can't get your attention at the beginning and then keep your attention to engage you, then the point is lost and I should have written longer form content or not written it at all. So tell the audience a little bit about the work that you're doing and what's at the cutting edge of that area now. So I think as much as we're all trying to be forward thinking and, oh, wow, augmented reality and the future is here, you don't see people using this out there in reality because a lot of things are very expensive and they're clunky and they're stupid and they don't stream through the web. So I find that although we're on the brink of some amazing things, like Apple is making all these announcements and launches we're still a little bit behind. So I actually find that very well done, high quality, regular infographics still do very, very well because the news media and all sorts of pop culture sites, and depending on what your content is, crave this kind of information because it outperforms the written work. Is there a format that is kind of now acceptable as the standard, most successful form of infographic? Does the eye move, for instance, from the left to the right, up or down, down to up? Um, what are the some of the tricks that you can say have had success in terms of engagement with just the infographics themselves? Sure. So I think opening a person's mind a little bit deeper into something that they thought that they knew. So Mark Twain is often attributed to a quote where he says, and if you've ever seen the movie, The Big Short, since we've been quoting movies, he says, it's not the things that you don't know that get you into trouble, but it's the things that you do know that just aren't so. So if you say to someone, hey, you think you know how influencer marketing works, but really here's how it works. So we just had a piece that went very, very viral over the last month. Uh, 
It's been in, I'd say, over 130 different publications, including Mashable, Entrepreneur, The Next Web, all sorts of different things all over the world. And I think that instead of just selling yourself short and just talking about one element, if you really make super premium content, it should tell a story. It should have a beginning, middle, and end. It needs to have a hook at the beginning and just have very interesting things to keep you focused. So one of the things we talk about is some of the history of influencer marketing. So instead of starting with Snapchat, like everybody else wanted to do, we talk about how Coca-Cola co-opted Santa Claus when it was starting out. And that's why that's in a lot of consumerism. So things like that, I think, really go a bit above and beyond because now you've got all of these bombs going off in somebody's head saying, wow, I, I can't wait to share this. I can't wait to print it out and put it on my wall and translate it to 12 different languages, right? I think that's really the key to make something that is just really evergreen, everlasting and enduring. We have things that even five, six, seven years later, people still share socially and blog about and are in the news years down the road. Speaking about in the news, there's a great case study that we've discussed and you've shared with us and is now live on the show notes at newsmoto.com if you want to jump across and have a look. It's the one about the $64 million man. Um, let's talk about that one because it's a, it's a great example of an infographic. I am, of course, speaking about the Tobias Harris uh, $64 million oh, yes. trade um, infographic, the, the basketballer. Um, could you talk our audience through this as an example and, and how it's been so successful? Sure. And I love bringing this one up because people can really see the power of an infographic. So rather than just, hey, here's a pretty thing and somebody linked to it on the internet and commented, the result in this case, someone got a contract for $64 million before their 23rd birthday. That's mind-blowing, right? So, so let's talk about it. So for those of you who don't really follow the world of sports, there is something new in the world of data analytics and data scientists and all the smart people at MIT and all sorts of schools and researchers all over the world that are spending a lot of time in the world of sports completely changing it forever. And it will never be the same as it ever was. No longer will we ever just trust our gut and a scout and how they throw the ball and all of this stuff. Now we have something called sabermetrics. So for those of you who have ever read the book, and or seen the movie Moneyball. I do things besides watch movies, guys. But yeah, so there's something called Moneyball that you should all definitely read and watch. Yeah, great book, great movie. Brad Pitt was in it. They did a good job with it. So instead of just buying the high-priced baseball player, they went to the undervalued player and got them instead and then built an amazing team of overlooked people that completely outmatched the so-called stars. So it started as a movement in American baseball, and then it found its way into soccer, it found its way into American football, and certainly, and the subject of this infographic, found its way into basketball. So in this case, we actually found some incredible sabermetrics, and at the time, this was already a couple years ago, there was not as much going on sabermetrics-wise. We found a wonderful study online, and we put together an infographic saying this is the most undervalued player at the time who was just about to go into free agency. He was not being played enough. He was at the Orlando Magic. And yeah, I mean, once we put that out there, the internet went crazy. It went viral all over Reddit constantly. All of the large sports sites and commentators started talking about it. All of the message boards and threads said, wow, look at, look at this guy. You know, We thought he was okay, but when we actually look under the data and looking at sabermetrics, this is amazing. 
There's some, just for those who clearly don't have this in front of them, there's some pretty interesting layers within this infographic I was just looking at. It's got a comparison section between this guy, Tobias Harris. I mean, I'm a basketball fan. I've never really heard of this guy. <laughs> but nonetheless, he, he's the one with $64 million in his skyrocket, not me. But comparing him to LeBron James, Kevin Durant, two of the best players of all time, and Chris Bosh um, right up there as well. Uh but, but using actual data to represent the fact that this guy averages 17 points per game, um, and there's a whole heap of stats here that for the uninitiated and for non-basketball fans will probably fall into the boring category, but it's a great infographic uh, for anyone uh, to take a look at because it's just got so much in there. But to your point, it's not overbearing, it's not overwhelming, it's just entertaining. Um, and it's driven this guy's uh, career. Incredible stuff. So what are some of the takeouts? that we can learn from that for brands and it doesn't have to be associated with basketball but what can we do to make infographics work for us fantastic question thanks every brand can be interesting sure i don't just say that about all questions it's a very important (laughs) question right so i think there's so a lot of business to business especially b2b tech or something very complicated hard to explain a lot of their marketers cry and they say, oh no, woe is me. I'm not cool like sports or entertainment or music or something cool that everybody wants. Poor me. I have to represent stupid technology to boring technology people. There is no excuse ever for using that line. If anything, you should be (laughs) excited out of your mind because 90% of your industry is asleep, allowing you to make something great. And I'll give you an example, and we can link to this too later. So are you familiar with polished concrete, concrete polishing? I am. I am. I I love polished concrete. Of course you do, as does everyone. So when you go into a, a large retail outlet, wherever you are in the world, it's the shiny floors that are made out of concrete, right? So instead of little tiles and things like that. So once upon a time, years ago, a company that makes polished concrete came to us and they said, hey, we're like this really boring thing. I mean, can you literally even think of anything more boring than that? Like, it's terrible. Like, what are we even talking about? So we're we're racking our brains. So we talk to the CEO of the company and we ask him, do you have a sense of humor? He says yes. And we're like, all right, really, are you sitting down? Because we want to do a, a humor piece on why the mafia uses concrete to bury dead bodies. And he was laughing and laughing. And I thought we were going to get hung up on or fired. But he said, go, let's do it. And it was effective. It got, you know, some media and it actually brought them from page two in Google to page one and they sold more shiny floors. So whatever boring, irrelevant, I'm not big enough, I'm not a global 2000 company, crybaby nonsense, just who cares? Be creative. Turn that part of your brain again. You know, go play with children and color again. Whatever you need to do to bring yourself out of the depths and be creative and manifest that into something good for the world. Please, please. We need more creatives to lead the way. That's such a great point. And it goes to the heart of the whole conversation we're having today. So what drives you? How do you get creative? You know, it's a very difficult question. It's an important question. You're expecting me to say that. So 
I, I don't have like, here's this single website and just read everything. I feel like my creativity comes from everywhere. So I have a pretty big following on all sorts of different social networks. And I try to follow people that I think are interesting. I think sometimes people and blogs and different websites are hit and miss. Sometimes they'll have good things to say. Sometimes they don't. So I have such an assortment of different things across my Facebook feed, what I look at on LinkedIn, what I looked at on Twitter, a variety of different websites and emails. I think it's very different for the person. I think really to just try to attain some kind of balance. I think a lot of people just burn themselves out and they're so busy listening to all the nonsense about hustling and grinding that they're killing themselves. So I think sometimes people just need to recenter and recalibrate. And for you, whether that is prayer, meditation, just getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, eating right, taking care of yourself. I think a lot of people are just out of balance and that kills their ability to create because they're just in survival mode. And I think this is a, a global overarching comment before it's like, let's here's five things to read, right? I think that <laughs> that certainly gets me going. I think there's, you know, there's a variety of publications that are good. So, I mean, I, I like the next web um, there's something called The Hustle that's kind of interesting. The Skim is a nice kind of resource out there. Uh, there's a Facebook page called Goalcast, which kind of does a bunch of videos that are fairly inspirational. But I think it's different for everybody, different strokes for different people. Mm, absolutely. And for our listeners, I am, of course, speaking with Brian Wallace, all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio, who is the president and founder of Now Sourcing. Where do where do you go to from here, Brian? What's in the future for now sourcing and, and importantly when it comes to visualizing the stories that we tell? Where do you see we're going to be in three to five years? Sure. So sometimes I tell people I don't run an infographics company. I run a what people are gonna like in the next three to five years company. So yeah, I'm I'm very into future trends. I, I love to try to be a futurist and I dabble in everything from augmented reality, virtual reality, smart cities, all these different kinds of technologies and convergence and convergence of devices and different kinds of internet and the ways that we all communicate. So I'm really excited about where augmented reality is going right now. So since we've talked about books and movies this way, all the way, I don't think we talked about this yet, but there's a fantastic book called Ready Player One. And it talks all about virtual reality and augmented reality. It's a little dystopic. And uh, Steven Spielberg is actually going to direct it into a movie, which I believe is coming out. It's going to be so it's cool. It's going to be amazing. It's coming out, I think, in March of next year. Everybody, please, please pick up this book and read it. Nobody's paying me to say that. but it's Sit in the 80s, yeah, the yeah, whole it, thing. It, it brings back the 80s, and it just talks about how that whole world is on there. And everybody who's even working on all the virtual and augmented reality today gets this book when they start. It's like the Bible of the industry, and it's just so cool. So I'm very excited where content is going to go. So instead of staring at the TV screen and the typewriter fused together, aka your laptop, desktop, whatever, instead of having these stupid devices that really haven't innovated at all since the 80s, we're going to throw away the monitors, and we're going to immerse ourselves into a different world, and we're going to need content there, right? That's where I think a lot of this is going. So the internet's not quite there. The devices aren't quite there. There's a lot of different companies that are working super hard on this right now to make this hopefully not too distant future reality for masses. And I'm super excited on where that's going. And do you think that'll be good for learning? It'll be fantastic for learning because it will be immersive and multidimensional. So let's say you're learning to be a 
you know, brain surgeon. So rather than just cutting people up or reading it in a book, you can look at a three-dimensional model that you can pick up and you can pinch and zoom and move around in different angles and you can have multiple people interacting in it. And it's, it's really fascinating. Well, I can't wait. There's so much to look forward to in the world of learning and particularly when it comes to visualization and the world that we'll immerse ourselves in in the years to come. Goodness knows we've talked about what we've experienced growing up, what our children and even their children will experience in the in the generations to come. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Brand Storytelling. For all our listeners, where can they find you? You can find me all over the internet. Usually my handle on social media is NowSourcing, and you can always see us at NowSourcing.com. And for all our listeners, thanks again for joining us on this exciting episode of Brand Storytelling, and we look forward to all of you jumping back on board with us next week. This has been the Brand Storytelling Podcast brought to you by Newsmodo. For more information on anything you've heard on today's episode, visit the show notes at newsmodo.com. Thanks for listening.